the, the greatest tool a police officer has is their, their ability to communicate, their mind, their thoughtfulness. When I went through the academy uh, many years ago, that we had this concept, it was called verbal judo. And basically it was how to communicate with someone in a way to, to kind of disarm them. And officers, whether you call it de-escalation or just good human interaction and human relations, we ask officers to do that all the time. Welcome to the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whitehouse. I interview all kinds of people on the show, but in light of current events, I thought it important to speak with the chief of our Groton Town Police Department, L.J. Fizarro, to get some insights on the world of policing. In this thorough interview, we talk about many topics, including community policing, the objectives of policing, GPD's emphasis on de-escalation and positive interactions, school resource officers, and the handling of community complaints. There's a lot to learn. No organization is perfect, but I feel the Groton Police Department is on the right track. Let's speak to Chief L.J. Fazzaro. So I'm here today with Chief L.J. Fazzaro. He is the Chief of Police of the uh, Town of Groton Police. How are you doing, Chief? I'm doing well. How are you, Michael? I'm doing very well. It's great to have you on the show, especially with, with all that's going on. Uh, but before we get to the, the bigger news, I want to share a little bit of your story and uh, how you came to be Chief of our, our police here in Groton. Well, um, oh, I'm glad to I'm glad to be with you. And I, I give you a little bit of background. I, I come from a law enforcement family. My father was, uh, when I was growing up, was a police officer in Norwich. Uh, he went on to become the chief of police there. Um, I thought maybe my path might take me in a different direction. But uh, while I was in college, uh, I attended the Citadel, which is a military college in South Carolina. I thought I'd be destined for a uh, military career. Um, well, while I was there, I kind of decided that, that I wanted to get into law enforcement. Um, I did get in the military. I did go in the reserves. Still, in fact, am in the reserves. Uh, I'm currently uh, in the Connecticut National Guard. Um, mm -hmm. After after college, I uh, did some Army time uh, a little bit there, and then I, I was uh, hired by the Connecticut State Police. I worked there for uh, almost 22 years. Um, had a lot of great assignments, uh, a lot of experience. Uh, commanded a couple of barracks, uh, the, the Montville Barracks, which isn't far from here, and Colchester Barracks. And the bulk of my, the remainder of my career, um, I spent uh, as a commanding officer of the Emergency Service Unit and Counterterrorism and held some some posts that were uh, of national um, uh, organizations, uh, the National Fusion Center Association and a couple of others. And, and um, this opportunity came up here in Groton. Uh, I don't I, I'm a lifelong resident of Southeastern Connecticut. Um, department always had a good reputation, uh, but there was a need for a, a police chief here in Groton. I applied for it and uh, have been here for, for almost five years now. Boy, it's hard to believe five years. Time time does fly. Yeah, you, you've been um, here almost as long as I have. I know it. I know it. Um, so that's kind of my, my, in a nutshell, you know, my family all lives in this area. Um, certainly uh, enjoy all that Groton has to offer the you know, we're a fortunate community in that we've got Mystic, we've got, uh, you know, major employers here, we've got the sub base, we've got uh, so much this community has to offer. It's a great place to work. And I'm, I'm certainly proud to be part of this department because, uh, you know, I think we've we've done a lot of work uh, prior to me getting here. But since I've been here um, to, to just uh, make sure that we're, we're an, uh, an outstanding department and a place where people want to come to work. Um, and that has a reputation of being a professional organization. It's always a good thing. Um, now, of course, as, as I'm interviewing you, there's uh, the police are in the news quite a bit on the national scale. Um, and I want to give you the chance to kind of talk about your, your thoughts on, on the 
George Floyd incident, of course. Uh, and then just your, your thoughts generally on where the Groton police fit in uh, in the, the Latin national story. Sure. Um, George, what can really be said about the George Floyd incident that isn't, that hasn't already been said. We, uh, we posted something on our Facebook site, uh, to, to the public indicating our, our feelings about that. It was, it was an awful thing. Should not have happened. It's illegal, immoral. It, the, 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 there's really no excuse for what happened there. Um, it affects our profession. It is, it affects our officers because, uh, you know, whether they're wearing a Groton uniform or state police or ledger or stoning, it doesn't, doesn't matter. It affects us all the same because officers are at the very core of themselves, uh, good and upstanding professionals. And, and, you know, they're, they're, they're human beings, right? We come from the human race. They're mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers. They're people that are, um, in our community, um, so, so certainly what we've got as far as, um, a feeling about this is pretty universal. We deplore it. Now we also understand there's there's consequences as to that. And, and we're seeing a lot of that now where, uh, people in, in the community want to know why that happened. Um, and they're looking for answers and then law enforcement, we can't give them any because we detest it just as much as they do. Um, but it, but the consequences of that are far reaching, right? We're seeing a lot of stuff in society that, that talks about, um, you know, race relations, the, the role of law enforcement, you know, how we're trained, what our policies look like, all those things that are, that are of public concern and they should be. Um, but you asked, how about here in Groton? Mm -hmm. We're fortunate because we have a, a good department, but it starts with hiring the right people. And, um, what many people don't understand in, in Connecticut, we've got some pretty high, hiring standards universally that are codified in regulation and law and and regulation is is put out by the police officer standards and training council which essentially oversees all police training uh and sets parameters for us to operate within so you know when it comes to hiring folks you know it's a it's not easy to be hired as a police officer it's a multi-step process um that includes written tests um oral boards psychological tests, a polygraph, which is a, a lie detector test, background investigation, physical fitness. Um, uh, you know, the, the background investigation itself is, is a very thorough and comprehensive one. So just to get someone hired, it, it's difficult, but that's where we, we start. And, and a lot of people don't make it through that process. People that are interested in being police officers don't make it uh, to the point of where they're hiring or where they're suitable for hiring. Um, so I, I, that's kind of where it starts is, is with people and making mm -hmm. sure we get the right people. And, and then what do you do after beyond that, you know, once they are on board to, to maintain the right kind of culture? A lot of it is through policy formulation training. Um, each department in Connecticut, and, and ours is no exception, has certain minimum standards you have to adhere to. Um, we have those minimum standards and then some. Uh, so... Again, those are promulgated by post. Uh, our department is in the process of of a wholesale update of our policies, which began a couple of years ago when um, when Deputy Chief Gately came on board. Uh, he's been instrumental in helping me put this stuff together and and, and really update stuff that that needed to be updated that had um, had been in place a uh, long time before I got here. And it was one of the, the primary goals was to to not just get those updated, but lead us towards. Uh, uh, national and international accreditation as a police agency. 
and that's that remains our goal as we continue through this process. Um, that helps establish standards, best practices, and also incorporates audits, uh, external audits from other organizations uh, and other individuals that are affiliated with with that credentialing organization. So uh, that's our long term goal. That's what we've been been moving towards for a while now. Um, and certainly, uh, you know, I, I think it's in the best interest, not of the department, but of the public. It, it adds legitimacy. It adds to uh, public trust and confidence. And that's all important, uh, particularly in light of what's happening today. Yep. Now, I, I know you do a lot of uh, outreach. You do like um, mm-hmm. Coffee with a Cop and, and uh, community policing. You have McDonald Police Dog, um, yep. who's been out a lot. Uh, talk a little bit about what you, um, what you do to engage positively with the community. Well, I think every interaction, we try to make a positive one, but the reality of what, what law enforcement is and the jobs that we're asked to do sometimes is we don't always have positive interactions with the public. And what I mean by that is, you know, when we're called to something, when people need services from police, they're not always the best of times. You know, we may be called to a traffic accident. We may be called to a domestic violence incident, a, a horrific injury to a person, a, a significant assault or, or worse. Uh, many times when officers arrive at a scene, we're asked to bring chaos to that scene. And sometimes it's during episodes of heightened um, excitement, let's say, or, or even uh, you know, distress. So an officer is asked to come into those situations having very, very little information and asked to bring order to that and to calm it. So, you know, to get back to your question, how do you, you know, how do we do that? Uh, it's, it, it, again, requires the right people and patience. Uh, but sometimes, even though the officer's presence is, is one that is supposed to have a calming impact, in, impact, sometimes it has completely the opposite. And where, you know, people's aggression is turned on the officer and the officer has to be prepared to deescalate and respond to that. And, and sometimes uh, that leads to incidents where people are arrested or there's physical confrontations and our officers are trained to handle that and try to handle that with the least uh, forceful and least impactful way possible. Um, yeah, I, I like what you're saying with the de-escalating because I think some of the some of the videos people have seen, uh, when you watch it, it seems like there's unnecessary escalation or just poor de-escalation training. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how how the officers are trained to de-escalate and and make things better instead of worse? Sure. Well, it, it, the, the greatest tool a police officer has is their their ability to communicate, their mind, their their thoughtfulness. Um, bring coming into a stressful situation. You know, an officer tries to do that. When I went through the academy uh, many years ago, that we had this concept. It was called verbal judo, and basically, it was how to communicate with someone in a way to 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 kind of disarm them, right? To to get them, you know, calm down, uh, to respond to their uh, uh, verbal uh, assaults or or high stress uh, communications with a way that kind of deflected it a little bit, brought them down. We still do that. And, and officers, whether you call it de-escalation or just good human interaction and human relations, we ask officers to do that all the time. You know, when we show up at something, we got to find out what's happening. And many times, we're, or virtually all the time, when an officer responds to something, they don't have all of the information. And sometimes the information that's been relayed to them could be incorrect. You know, if an individual sees something out in society and they call 911, they may not have a good grasp on what they've seen. For instance, you know, they could report someone had a firearm when in fact they didn't have a firearm, they had something else, or that there's an argument between two people. 
And when you get there, you find out it's completely different than what was reported to you. That happens quite frequently. So the officer, when they get there, they have to assess the situation and they have to use their communication skills to find out what the facts are. And if people are agitated, they're excited, they're, they're you know, they've, they've been involved in a criminal incident or a motor vehicle accident or something, the officer has to bring chaos, uh, chaos to calm um, really quick. So the ability to talk to people, you know, to not agitate the situation, to try and bring that down. But, but you know, the situations that you're alluding to, in, in some cases, officers, d- despite their best efforts, uh, are unable to get people to calm down or to defuse a situation in order to bring that to a, a, a successful immediate resolution. And sometimes they have to resort to other things um, beyond their, their verbal skills, you know, person may need to be taken into custody and put in handcuffs, or if a person's combative or assaults a police officer, they have to be prepared to respond to that. And what we we teach our officers to do is to respond to that aggression, to overcome that aggression or overcome that situation uh, with the most effective and least impactful um, use of force that they they can use um, under the given circumstances. So um, most Fortunately, most of our interactions with people don't ever result into something like that where they have to use force. Most of them result in voluntary compliance where the person we're dealing with does calm down or if they have to be arrested, uh, does so uh, in a cooperative manner. Um, and, but let's face it, that's not a situation that people like to be in. And sometimes when they're in those vulnerable and highly charged situations, they can be violent and combative and officers need to be able to react to that, uh, again, in an effective way with the intent of overcoming that uh, assaultive or, or um, combative behavior in a way that they can quell the situation and bring someone into custody if they need to. Yeah, I've heard some people say when you're called out, it's at the worst moment of someone's life is when you're seeing them. Absolutely. You know, I used to make a joke when I was in the academy that, you know, we see people, you know, if we stop them for a traffic violation or we respond to their house for a burglary or if there was a domestic violence incident, we have to arrest someone, mom or dad. If, uh, you know, all those those awful times in life where people call us to help, you know, or we have to knock on the door of their house and provide them with really bad information. You know, those don't paint us in the best light. That's mm-hmm. our job. But what we don't get to do is we don't get to hand out the lottery checks. We don't get the call <laughs> from people to say, hey, come on over. We're having a great day. Visit us. Um, we don't get that all the time. But those are those opportunities where we do have that, that helps to build that trust. And that's getting back to what you had talked about with, you know, community policing, you know, Officer McDonald, our, uh, our, our, our department therapy dog and community policing, all those things help to build trust and connections with the community. And those are very valuable tools that we like to maximize, you know, school resource officers, you know, officers just getting out walking, you know, we've got one of the real gems of Connecticut here in Mystic and getting the officers out there and walking around and just, you know, interacting with people in a positive way. That's all stuff that helps build trust, build legitimacy and build communications and, and, um, and, you know, really involve the community in our acts and and develop that bond that we want with our community, that connection that we need. Yeah. Actually, I'd like to talk about uh, school resource officers a bit because I've heard uh, some communities are getting rid of them uh, because, because they've had the negative effect of, Things that would normally be a detention sometimes end up in an arrest. Um, I think it's in more urban environments. Um, but but talk about kind of how Groton approaches the the school resource officer uh, officer and 
and their presence and uh, how that's uh, if and how that's beneficial to the students. Sure. The way we approach it is, well, again, it gets back to the people part, right? You got to have the right person there. We're fortunate in the high school, uh, very popular member of the faculty is the SRO, Officer Scott Bousquet. He does a, an exceptional job. And the reason for the SRO being there isn't, it's multifaceted, right? It's, it's to provide a level of protection. Unfortunately, we've seen a lot of bad things happen in schools right here in Connecticut mm -hmm. and, uh, and throughout the country. So that's one reason, but that's not the only reason. They're part of the team. You know, they're a part of, of, of establishing that trust and legitimacy with law enforcement. They're a part of the faculty. In fact, he's, he's been teaching classes there. Um, Scott has a little educational background himself. Um, they've got to be a valuable member, a trusted member of the community and, and develop those relationships with the students and faculty and parents as well, but primarily the students. And, and I think that, you know, that is the, the opportunity when people are becoming young adults to make a connection with a police officer in a positive manner. And that person's there to help. He's not there to arrest people. That's if he has to, he will, but he's there to problem solve. And that's really what community policing is about. It's problem solving. It's problem oriented policing known by another term as community policing to, 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 to impact problems. And he gets to meet in a different venue, people that may have issues when they're home may have issues outside of school and he's there to help them. Um, and I think the, the, the trade-off for that is people develop confidence, not just in him, but the, but the police department that serves them. And I think it's really important to have that. I think that connection is, uh, is one that just, it, it permeates the school. If it, if it isn't the right person, you know, that may be something that some of those other communities have experienced where they feel that the officer is there just to arrest people. And if that's the case, I would say then they re need to rethink how they do the school resource officer program mm -hmm. um, because it's not a resource. And that's what we're expecting it to be a resource for the department, but more so for the school and for the community as a whole. Yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Cause I think, you know, kids, kids are going to do dumb kid things. Um, so, so like if two kids get in a fight, he's not just going to throw them in cuffs and, and haul them off on the paddy wagon. No. And that's the other part of this. I think absent a school resource officer, that would probably be more likely because if we were getting called by the, let's say the, the high school principal all the time because of, of things that were happening like that, that may not be the best avenue because an officer that doesn't have connections with the students, doesn't know the problems um, and doesn't have other ways to deal with it. It may result in the, an, an officer that just responds to the school and says, okay, I'm arresting everybody. Um, that probably doesn't solve the root cause of the problem. But mm -hmm. if there's if there's an SRO there, they do have discretion. You know, might they have to do a referral for that kid? Might they have to send them to a juvenile review board or, in fact, arrest them? Yeah. Yeah, that can and does happen. But I would submit that it probably happens less often when you have an effective school resource officer program because they have other ways to handle those pro those problems. And it the presence of the officer alone probably decreases them by and large. Doesn't eliminate them, but may decrease them. And and I assume the kids who are who are more troubled might he might have more background knowledge of them and because uh, he's there all the time and gets to know them. Exactly. And they may trust him where where if they don't know an officer, they may not have that kind of trust. Or maybe they've had an adverse um, uh, experience with police officers. Maybe they were in a home where uh, one or one or both of their parents are arrested from time to time for domestic violence or for other things. So they may have a negative impression of the police 
from the from the beginning, they may be predisposed to not trust police officers, but yet putting a school resource officer and then can restore that trust and can help them understand a different perspective. Hmm. That's a really great concept, and I yeah, I'm glad you you shared that. Um, now another thing people are talking about is how how police the mission of police has kind of expanded. You know, if you watch if you watch cop shows, you know it's about uh, drugs and murder and terrorism and uh, assaults, um, but you, you don't tend to see uh, a lot of uh, Law and Order episodes about um, dealing with homelessness and the effects of drug addiction and mental illness and um, all those kind of sort of not quite crime issues that police get called on. Uh, I wonder if you speak a little bit about um, kind of that expanded role. Yeah. You know, policing today is much more complex than than uh, it was in the in the days of let's say Joe Friday or Adam 12, for those of us who can remember those. <laughs> um, really, the, 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 the whole idea behind policing is to prevent and, and respond to crime and disorder. Now, there's, you know, that's, that's kind of the Peelian principles, the Sir Robert Peel, the, the, if you ever took the criminal justice class, they'd talk about that. But we've gotten into so much more, and a lot of it's in response to things in society, but some of it is in response to the fact that there used to be other tools in society or other entities that handled certain certain things that no longer exist. Um, officers today are asked to have uh, the the background of a lawyer, understand the complexities of a, a very complex legal system, are expected to have the skill sets and knowledge and calming demeanor of a social worker or a psychologist, the uh, medical training of a doctor, and wrap this all into a person that has you know, literally just a moment's interaction sometimes with people uh, and, and come up with decisions that that really are, are significant decisions when you consider the authority of an officer to be able to take one's, you know, liberty uh, away, that, that that's significant. Now, and what I mean by that is we have officers out there interacting with people that may be in mental health crisis. And, and by and large, our officers do an exceptional job. And I'm not just talking about the ones that work in this department. I'm talking about the ones that work in the country as a whole. Um, there are mechanisms that used to exist that no longer exist. You know, we don't institutionalize people and I'm not advocating that we do to the extent that was done years ago, even right up, uh, the Thames river in Norwich. Um, when we had the state hospital there, that's, that may not be the best answer either, but, but people are in society and officers are called because when people are in crisis, it may happen at midnight when we're working or on the weekends or holidays, all times when we're working and other resources aren't available. So officers respond to that. We, we've been asked right here in town about some homeless issues. Um, we've been asked to address those. And that, again, is not necessarily a crime and disorder problem. Um, it, it's, it, it is indeed a societal problem. Sometimes those two things that I just mentioned do go hand in hand a little bit, um, homelessness and maybe some, some mental health uh, issues. But we also are asked now, uh, and this department's embraced it over the last couple of years, you know, we've had an opioid epidemic and we've had people out there in, in our communities that have overdosed and we've now issued all our officers Narcan. So they're actually administering drugs uh, to people out in the field. So, so all those things are much more, um, much more complicated than I'm, than I'm making them out to be. But those mm -hmm. are things we're asking police officers to do today that many years ago, we'd never thought of. Um, and as part of some of the things that we're talking about today in, in policing and where do we go from there, 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 there does need to be some hard thinking about, hey, 
you know, how do we better address some of those issues that are beyond what maybe police are, are typically expected to do, but we've got them doing it now today. Um, so I, I, I do think that's a good conversation to have. And uh, I know in law enforcement, we embrace those types of conversations. Um, and so you mentioned homelessness, but I think a lot of people don't even realize that there is homelessness in Groton. I think a lot of people assume that, that if someone's homeless in Groton, they go across the river and stay in the shelter in New London. Um, no. But, but I know that there is certainly some homelessness sort of out of the way. Um, and, and how does the, the police department interact with, with that situation and, and respond to it? You know, and again, that's one of those, those issues that sometimes gets channelized to police. And I don't know that that's the right place to have it. You know, do we interact with those folks? Sure. Uh, there is homelessness here. And I would say there's probably homelessness in each community in Connecticut uh, at varying degrees. But, you know, the, the you know, we, we interact with individuals. Um, we try to provide them assistance, uh, those that want it. Uh, but there's really no mechanism for us to say, hey, we're going we're gonna to place you in a, a facility. We incorporate our social town human services department into that. There are some other entities that check on individuals that are homeless here in town uh, through our health district. They, they, they have a uh, outreach program. But by and large, sometimes what, we'll, what our office will do purely as a um, safety measure that during really inclement weather times, we'll try and check on them, offer them some assistance to get them to some, some shelter if they want it. Um, and that's, that's happened most recently during some real cold snaps during the last couple of winters. Um, but we really don't have a lot of tools to deal with that. And again, some of that is best handled through social services. Um, uh, and, and I think they tell you that they, they struggle with that as well. But I, I think what I liked, what I didn't hear is that, that you're not rousting them out and not saying, you know, get out of here, go off to go off to, to take your homelessness problem to Ledyard or something like that. Because I, I think in some cities, the, the homeless interaction with police, the police make their lives harder uh, as opposed to I mean, naturally, you know, the, the police aren't as you said, they're not the right solution to finding them uh, homes and solving the problem. But at least, you know, first do no harm. Exactly. I mean, that's not to suggest, you know, have we gotten calls from uh, individuals because of trespassing issues from individuals who may be homeless or uh, uh, things of that nature? You know, we've gotten those, but those, you know, the, the right answer on that isn't to, as you suggested, or you said, uh, uh, you know, roust them or arrest them. No, that's not, it, it's not a crime to be homeless. It's, um, we do try to point them in the right direction, offer assistance, you know, give them resources to consider. Um but at the end of the day, if there's no, get back to that phrase again, crime and disorder, then then really it's it's beyond the scope of what we we really would would be able to do too much about. Yeah, and I, I think it's kind of one of the key things that that is different between our department and the way you're doing things, and the and some of what's being seen across the country um, is that that you seem to see your job as as kind of staying out of the way if there's not a problem to be solved, um, while uh, some departments seem to be more active uh, in trying to create a a community structure as opposed to just letting letting citizens live their lives and uh, sure. coming in when when there's a need. Well, my my guess on that would be, uh, you know, it's every every community is different. Groton's different than every other community in the state of Connecticut, um, which is different than any every other state outside of Connecticut. Mm -hmm. You know, there's probably some direction I would expect that they've gotten through their leadership not necessarily just in the police department, but, but maybe through their elected officials or, or uh, city or town government, maybe, uh, again, I'm speculating that, but, uh, 
you know, I will say is by and large, um, you know, there are issues in other communities and certainly in some some major metropolitan areas where police are asked to address things like I've just said to you, which which can be a little bit outside the scope of their responsibilities. But yet police, we are 24 seven, 365, never close. Uh, you know, we don't we don't call in because it's a snow day. We don't have we don't cancel work because of inclement weather. Those are the days when we expect people in this line of work to be at their best and to be present and available. Um, so that's why a lot of those things, when there's no one left to call, who do they call? They call the police. You know, when there's a problem and no one is, no one knows who to call, the police are asked to go. And usually we do respond. Um, you know, sometimes, as I said before, it's hard to tell what you're walking into. You know, you may walk into an incident where someone reports it as a crime, but in fact, it isn't a crime. It's a civil matter. Well, we don't have the authority to do that. That's something that has to be taken up in the courts through the civil court process. Um, if it's a crime, then we investigate it. If there's probable cause, then we're able to uh, either either make an arrest on the scene or get a warrant for it. Um, so, you know, there's there's um, there's problems other communities face that are unique to those communities and different than ours. Um, but I think our department takes the approach that we care about the community we work in. We we do in fact reflect our community. As I started to say before, we're, our cops are moms and dads, brothers and sisters, mm -hmm. daughters and sons, um, various religious denominations, um, race, ethnicity, uh, sexual orientation. We do reflect our community because the police are the community and the community is the police. We, we, we work hand in hand uh, because we get our people from our community. And um, I think I mentioned Joe Friday before. I always give mm -hmm. my father credit for this statement, but he told me this a long time ago. He says, the problem with cops is we get our people from the human race. <laughs> uh, I give him credit, but I think it was actually Joe Friday who said it. Um, what a great statement. I mean, mm -hmm. we, you know, we, we live in a society now of zero defect where people expect that. But the problem with that is we are human beings and we all know zero defect may be an aspirational goal, but it's not a reality. That holds true in police work. You know, our people are are very, very good at what they do. The incidents of what you're referring to on TV are so minuscule, but they are high profile when they happen. Mm -hmm. By and large, our police officers here in this department, and I would argue in most departments around the United States, are exceptional at what they do. They're not doctors, most cases not lawyers either. Um and not psychiatrists, but when they're when they deal with those situations, they have a lot of street smarts. They have the ability to communicate, and they do a good job. And and I think I know my officers um, proud of the work that they do. I know they care about what they're doing. When they see things like what happened in Minneapolis, they're disgusted and dismayed because of it. It it breaks down all the goodwill and all the good work that they've done, and they want people to know they're in it for the right reasons. And they're there to help, and they want the support of the community that they serve. Um, we want that because we're we are all in this together. We've heard that phrase during COVID. Mm -hmm. We're saying that right now too. We are in this together. And that, that's something great, great approach to it. Um, and I was, I was wondering if, if do you think there's a difference between the culture of a a small town, medium town police force like ours and one in say Minneapolis or New York or Los Angeles where there's you know, I, I believe New York has almost as many police officers as Groton has residents. Um, 
And so do you think there might be more of an insularity in a, a large department um, where where it is so big, whereas a smaller department might be closer to the community? Or um, I, what are your thoughts on that? I think that I, I think there are cultural differences within police agencies themselves based on the type of policing you do. I know there was a different culture in my my previous department with the state police. Um, not a bad culture, but but albeit different. There's it. And again, it's it's what your community expectations are. Mm-hmm. what your community needs are. Um, I, I will I will agree that where you have your greatest failures in policing is when you don't understand your community. Um, I won't say, I won't, I don't think any department has a perfect handle on that because communities have different, different neighborhoods, different needs based on parts of the city or town. Um, but I think we do a pretty good job here. I think there's a good connection with the community. I do appreciate the fact that, you know, our elected officials have supported a resurgence in our, our community policing program over the last couple of years, um, because that does build that trust and legitimacy. And it helps, you know, strengthen those bonds with the community and, and, and build that trust that we need to do our job effectively. And in return for that, the, the, the town or city gets to trust the police department. And that's not to say that, they're all, everyone's going to be happy with the, the actions that, that we take because, after all, we do arrest people. Um, and sometimes when there's an outcome that someone's not happy with, you know, they, they, they lodge a complaint or they or, or, you know, contact the police department and we respond to that. Um, but I, I think I'm not giving you a real solid answer to that. Yeah. Every department has some, some different culture and yep. it may be based on necessity. Mm-hmm. That certainly makes sense. And, and speaking of, of- – People being unhappy. Uh, what is the process if someone believes that they were um, the victim of, say, racial profiling or or brutality or anything like that? What, what would be the process for a uh, a citizen to to file a complaint, and how would that be handled? They can they can file a complaint. We have an um, an online reporting system, uh, complaint form. You go to the the town's website. You go to the police department. You look up forms. It, our policy on complaints is right there. There's a, a a form that you can fill out. If you don't want to fill out the form, you contact the police department. You talk to, you can talk to the desk officer, the supervisor. Uh, any and all complaints that come in, we handle. They're assigned a control number. Um, so if a person says, "I want to make an anonymous complaint," we take whatever information they're willing to give us, and we then it goes to the deputy chief of police. Um, the, that's also available through town hall. By the way, they can contact the town manager's office. Um, if they want to file a complaint that way, they can do it. They can contact any supervisor. Um, but we, we investigate any and all complaints, regardless of how they're generated, either through mm-hmm. a telephone call, um, uh, through the website, you know, the easiest, the easiest way is to fill out the online form, uh, because then we get all the, the information we need to, to really look into that. And then what happens is, is it's signed for investigation in, in most of them, um, depending on the level of it. We'll get a uh, supervisor's inquiry that, you know, go directly to the shift commander. Uh, that person will gather facts uh, and provide a, uh, you know, may, may talk to the complainant or may ask uh, or may forward it up to the administration here, the deputy chief or captain or myself, where we direct it for a detailed investigation where that person's interviewed. Um, but typically it starts here and a supervisor's involved and, and we report that. And the other part of this I think there's a misnomer in the public. It's, you know, it's all internal. It's all, well, some of the process is internal. Um, but just like everyone else, I, you know, we have bosses here. I report to the town manager. Uh, when there's a complaint that comes in, you know, I brief him on it. 
we we provide him uh, with updates as to where it's going. Uh, occasionally, there there may be other officials in town that are brought into the mix, like our human resources director, uh, elected officials, and or our uh, our town attorney under certain circumstances. So there's a there's a host of people that are involved. Um, if there's wrongdoing, there's wrongdoing. With you know, there's a there's a disciplinary process. Uh, if there's not wrongdoing, then we we subscribe that to to writing. We 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 give an explanation and provide a detailed report as to what happened there. And if there's something that uh, appears to have criminal implications, it's referred to the state's attorney's office. Um, okay. And that's that's in London. But but you know what I will say is uh, it, it's a it's a it is a process. Um, and our officers are afforded that. You know they're afforded due process like everybody else is. But we take those seriously, and, and none of them goes without inquiry. Unfortunately, sometimes when we look into it, you know, a person may not be satisfied with the fact that a person didn't do anything that was uh, in violation of policy. There was no indications of illegal behavior or malfeasance. And, and while they may have a difference of opinion as to how the, uh, the case or the interaction was handled, it may not be something that was wrong. Um, right. Um, but regardless, it, or, or sometimes it is, and sometimes there is discipline that comes out of it up to and including termination and other departments, as you're seeing now, police officers have been arrested. Um, but we, we, we take this, uh, we take it very serious and we make sure that people understand what the policy is. That's why it's online. And it complies with all those regulations that are promulgated by the state. Very good. Yeah. I, I think it's the biggest thing is people just, they, they, they want to know that if something happens, it'll be investigated. It'll be responded to. Um, cause otherwise there's never improvement if there's never consequences in investigation. Right. And, and more importantly, and I think there's this, you know, I, I've heard this before, you know, they, they take care of themselves. They, every organization does to some extent, but what does that mean? We take care of ourselves, but if we have a problem, we are expected to take care of that. Mm-hmm. If there's a problem in the organization or an employee that's a problem or something happened that shouldn't happen, nobody has a greater stake in making sure that doesn't happen again and that it's dealt with effectively. Uh, like I said, up to and including dismissal, you know, all those things that you've seen across the country. If an officer um, does something maliciously, that is a problem and it needs to be dealt with. I'm proud to say I haven't seen that here. You know, I've seen our officers make mistakes. Sure. You know, that does happen. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's illegal, immoral, and ethical, that's a problem. Uh, But there are things that happen every day in every walk of life uh, that, that are either teachable moments or moments that can be fixed or, training conducted. Those are all important things. And we, we make sure that we, we do that in all of these situations. All right. Um, well, we're, we're coming to the end of our time, but do you have any final comments you want to share before, before I wrap up? No, I, you know, I, I think we talked about this from the beginning. It is, it is a uh, unique time in policing in America and, and mm-hmm. people want to understand what their police departments do. We've, we're an open book. We, we have a program here where, where people can go on ride alongs. Uh, we certainly want our officers engaging with the public. Um, but I think what our, our officers now are distressed about is that, you know, there is a lot of anti-police sentiment out there. And, and just like I said before, our police officers are part of the public. We want to be part of the solution when it comes to societal problems. Our officers here, our Groton officers take pride in the uniform they wear, the badge that's on their chest, and most of all, the name tag that's on their, their chest too, because it reflects who they are and what they're all about. So, you know, we, we, we want to be partners with the community. It's kind of one of our mottos. 
Uh, and we're happy and proud to be working in Groton. And we're, we're lucky to have the support that we have from our community. And we ask that uh, that, that continues. And we really thank that the public and our, our elected officials for that support, of which you are one of them. So, so thank you. You're welcome. And uh, yeah, thank you for for giving us a, a department that we can be proud of. Um, so I appreciate you taking the time to, to be on the show. And uh, thank you very much. Well, thanks for having me. And be safe. Don't forget, we still got a pandemic out there. So everybody be careful. Oh, yeah. No, I have not forgotten at all. <laughs> the events of George Floyd's death horrified a nation. For some, it was their first realization of the problems of race and oppression in our country. For others, it was just another example in a series of terrible examples. But what it did more than anything was bring into focus problems in our society, including race, class, and more. In the course of these discussions, I have seen people on all parts of the political spectrum become open to learning from and speaking with people of different viewpoints in a way I've never seen before. My hope in providing this interview was to share the story of one small to medium-sized town's police department and maybe give some examples of ways the police and residents can work together to make a better community. Chief Fasaro mentioned Sir Robert Peel during the interview, as well as a couple times in our preliminary conversations. So I looked him up, and what I found is very interesting. On lawenforcementactionpartnership.org, I found a brief biography and the text of the nine Peelian principles of policing, which are quite relevant to the current discussion. I'd like to share them with you now. In 1829, Sir Robert Peel established the London Metropolitan Police Force. He became known as the father of modern policing. And his commissioners established a list of policing principles that remain as crucial and urgent today as they were two centuries ago. They contained three core ideas and nine principles. The nine principles. One, to prevent crime and disorder as an alternative to their repression by military force and severity of legal punishment. Two, to recognize always that the power of the police to fulfill their functions and duties is dependent on public approval of their existence, actions, and behavior, and on their ability to secure and maintain public respect. Three, to recognize always that to secure and maintain the respect and approval of the public means also securing of the willing cooperation of the public in the task of securing observance of laws. 4. To recognize always that the extent to which the cooperation of the public can be secured diminishes proportionally with the necessity of the use of physical force and compulsion for achieving police objectives. 5. To seek and preserve public favor, not by pandering to public opinion, but by consistently demonstrating absolute impartial service to the law, in complete independence of policy, and without regard to the justice or injustice of the substance of individual laws, by ready offering of individual service and friendship to all members of the public, without regard to their wealth or social standing, by ready exercise of courtesy and friendly good humor, and by ready offering of individual sacrifice in protecting and preserving life. 6. To use physical force only when the exercise of persuasion, advice, and warning is found to be insufficient to obtain public cooperation to an extent necessary to secure observance of law or to restore order, and to use only the minimum degree of physical force 
which is necessary on any particular occasion for achieving a police objective. 7. To maintain at all times a relationship with the public that gives reality to the historic tradition that the police are the public and that the public are the police. The police being only members of the public who are paid to give full-time attention to duties which are incumbent on every citizen in the interests of community welfare and existence. 8. To recognize always the need for strict adherence to police executive functions and to refrain from even seeming to usurp the powers of the judiciary of avenging individuals or the state or of authoritatively judging guilt and punishing the guilty. 9. To recognize always that the test of police efficiency is the absence of crime and disorder and not the visible evidence of police action in dealing with them. He was right in 1829, and he's right in 2020. If you have comments, questions, or feedback on the show, email michael at guywhoknowsaguy.com. The Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast is produced and hosted by Michael Whitehouse. Our theme song is composed by Patrick Howard of Four Unicorns Design. Other music and sound effects are from Benjamin Harvey Design by way of freesound.org and bensound.com. Special thanks to Pat Helmers of Habanero Media for all the great advice he gave me on relaunching the show. Find me on the web at www.guywhoknowsaguy.com. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. You can also follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash theguywhoknowsaguy. Please share links to this show with friends you think would enjoy it. This is Michael Whitehouse, the guy who knows a guy, reminding you that it's not what you know, it's who you know, and how much you're willing to help them. JV Connect is coming up quick, December 12th and 13th. If you are looking for a networking event where you can meet people who aren't looking to just pitch you or take, but actually want to collaborate, build strategic partnerships, joint ventures, maybe even find some mentors, some coaches, people to support you, accountability partners, who knows? If you're looking for good people in an environment that's not stressful, but is set up to give you a lot of great connections in an efficient amount of time, check out JV Connect jv-connect.com that's jv-connect.com december 12th and 13th 2023 we'll see you there